Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the Time, Time Bandits, Bandits Minute. Minute. Time Bandits Minute is a podcast in which Duncan Shields and Curtis Blaze analyze and scrutinize the 1981 Terry Gilliam movie, Time Bandits. One minute at a time. Minute eight of Time Bandits, and this is a big one because... Drum roll, biddly diddly diddly do. The bandits arrive. Hmm. We are about to see them for the first time, which is uh, so exciting. I'm so I'm so jazzed. I'm so into what's about to go down here. <laughs> oh man, yeah. Well, this this whole minute, even just the beginning of the minute before the bandits get there, is one of the most exciting things for me. Uh, yeah. Even as a kid, I recognized that very first ten seconds of the movie. We are looking at the final battle. At the fortress of ultimate darkness, when we we hear the uh, we hear the robot go off and he and he shines his flashlight down, and when he shines his flashlight onto the floor, we have the final battle of the fortress of ultimate darkness. Oh, the final look. battle! Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. True. We've got the Legos. We've got the the building blocks. We've got the kind of building blocks that are, you know, triangles and in different shapes of pieces. We have the cowboys. We yeah. have the Indians. We have the knights on horseback. We have the laser gun, we have the tank, everything, the chessboard, it's all yep. there. The whole Fortress of Ultimate Darkness final battle, right here, right here in second 10 on minute eight. That's right. Got a spaceship. Got well, the whole Yeah, we've got, like, it's it's cool. Yeah, we've got the, the, we got the wooden blocks here are not unlike a set of wooden blocks that I had when I was a kid. And uh, we've got, there's a, the ray gun there, the, the brown ray gun with the red front. I have that. And when you when you, you pull the trigger, own that right now, I literally you, own that. Speak. Okay, yeah. go get it and pull the trigger for us and show us the sound. I thought it was in my room, but I don't see oh, it in the room here. So I think it might be in the garage and storage somewhere. But when you pull it, the uh, yeah sparks uh, come out of the uh, illuminate the the red plastic, and you get that little revving revving. Oh sound. man, that is that brings back memories. That's one of those generator ones and it makes the sparks and it makes the yeah. vroom, 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 exactly oh, yeah oh god i love that and the uh that's a real flash gordon looking ship here like a like a like you know the conical nose with the big point on it that's a very uh like flash like 1935 flash gordon serials kind mm. of uh kind right. of spaceship I, there i don't know much about flash gordon but it looks like the ship that he stabbed ming with yeah I think yeah actually, flash yeah. gordon was 1980 so I think that was a, a year oh, before okay. this. Mm. Okay. But yeah, it looks exactly like that. And then, uh, yeah, we've got a little 12-inch astronaut figure here mm. with a silver suit. And then That's we get the... This uh, uh, also behind Kevin's head, too, because you kind of really get seeing that the the picture he's got drawn up on the wall, the one we're having like, trouble deciphering what it actually said. But it's got it, it's supposed to be Superman. Because you can see it, he's got the, oh. the S symbol on his chest and stuff. And if you look at another shot, I was like, yeah, I guess that could be. That could be a Superman. He's kind of got Supermanish hair and stuff. But I'd start thinking of things about it like that. It's like, oh, a Superman directly behind Kevin. It's like, well, he's, you know, misplaced son of Krypton, you know, away from his parents and stuff like that, going into a strange new world, I guess, to him. He's an alien to it and stuff. I guess you could make, and, you know, hero, Kevin is the hero of, the, of his own story. So I guess you could say that's supposed to be the parallel. But it's like, well, that, that Terry Gilliam guy usually knows what he's doing. Uh, so... But then we see what's making the noise, what startled Kevin and made him uh, walk around, or look, shine the flashlight around. And it's the it's the robot that I think was previously on his bedside table, but is now walking around the ground here. It's got like a transparent chest. It's very similar to the one that was right beside his bed in earlier shots, but it's not exactly the same. 
Well, yeah, is it is it moving around, or does he have three? He might have three, but yeah, but this one's uh, this one's walking around. From the first from the first night, it would make sense that maybe he moved it off his off of his uh, bed stand and it made it onto the shelf. Yeah, so that's not a big deal. But it was on the shelf and on the floor in the shot, or in yeah. this, you know, last yeah. couple of minutes. In minute seven, it was over beside his bed, and I minute it is down here. So maybe he's got two. But I like how it, the chest is transparent, and you can see all these gears pumping around inside of it as it walks. It's nice. It's not just like a, a hard plastic, opaque exterior. It's like you can see the workings, the inner workings, which is a nice take on that kind of wind-up walking robot. Hmm. Well, and there was bigger versions and smaller versions of this kind of walking robot thing yeah. all over the place in the 80s. All over. All over in the mm. 80s, the 60s, the 50s. With Tomy Games, they made these little miniature games that were based on that mechanic alone. Bowling balls would walk down to knock down things. Golf balls would jump around to, to go in the hole. It was all over the place. I don't know if I would ever buy one of these for my kids now though like after seeing this and like close encounters and stuff it's like yeah you just ask them for those things to come to life in the middle of the night you know <laughs> <You're> just... <laughs> yeah or like one of those uh monkeys that claps the symbols together yeah like, uh, like they're, never... they're now synonymous with abject terror <laughs> so goddamn creepy in movies and now i can confirm that they did just come to life in the middle of the night that wasn't uh that wasn't <laughs> just a, a thing he made up they would, you know, there'd be a little bit of tension on the gear and it'd be wound down, but then, you know, someone would bump something in the house and it would set it off and it would do, you know, three more jumps or three more little steps. Yeah. Mm. Just in the middle of nowhere. It got so that we just recognized it and it wasn't freaky anymore because it just oh. happened, you know, frequently enough when you owned one of those things. You say that, maybe there was actually a ghost in that thing the whole time and you were just like, eh, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it was a ghost the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. Failing its haunting <laughs> test. Mm. Well, the, the mm. thing is, though, with, with, with this, though, the robot, I guess by that logic, like, because, you know, we see it happening here, it's like, ooh, something supernatural is happening. But I guess logistically, it's not, it is just kind of coming to life, just well, through, this... like, yeah, the gears tensing up or whatever, because it's not as if, like, you know, the bandits have any power over other materials. This is, this is my, this is my question, right? Like, when the Terminator is about to appear in the past, right, in his ball of time travel encasement or whatever, electricity starts sparking lightning yeah. starts dancing around there's like you know a, an ion charge in the air uh like for a good 30 or 40 seconds before he actually appears so my and, and then like you said with like close encounters of the third kind you know with all like all the all the toys coming to life when the when the ship is over the house in the prairie mm -hmm. there um mm -hmm. and a lot of horror movies with the ghosts you know haunting the a wind-up Ferris wheel or the, the clapping symbol monkey. Like, did the imminent arrival of the window trigger the robot? Or has Kevin already fallen asleep? Or did the robot just malfunction in real life for a second? I guess mm. that's what I'm, what I'm wondering. Because this, to me, is kind of like the horse in the previous minute. This is like, something's about to happen. I don't know if right. it's meant to be like, oh, oh. Like, if it's meant to be like a... Like a, a fake not not yeah, fake out. Not quite a jump scare, but like a. Uh, I know it's a fake out for Kevin because he's like, oh, "It's happening!" Oh, mm. oh, in my notes, ah. I called it a light jump scare. It was, it was something to make us think something was happening, and then, and then it didn't. Definitely for Kevin, right? Because he's sad that it's only a robot. He turns off the flashlight, and his parents come upstairs and go to bed. But like, uh, 
But do you think it was activated by the imminent arrival of the Time Bandits, or do you personally think it was just a, a mechanical hiccup? <laughs> so much goddamn stuff moving around this house. I'm surprised not all the toys are hopping off the floor. <laughs> yeah, houses creak and settle. So yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a big... yeah. So I think so. I think it it does. Uh, pretend the arrival of the bandits, but maybe for a mundane reason. Yeah, mundane reasons. I like that. There's like a big uh, toy truck in the upper right corner there. I was trying to figure out what that was, but it looks like it's a big toy truck. Mm. Is it a big toy? Oh, uh, and when uh, Niall talked about this, when you see the parents walking by and their shadows going under the door, in the front, uh, last minute, now it asked if there were any Napoleonic things going on right here, right in front. We've got this rider on yeah. the horse. Oh, yeah. of course. And, we've, yeah, also, there you go. and yeah. we've also got the tank right there to the yeah. left in the darkness. Now, mm. what's that orange thing to the right? I couldn't make heads or, heads or tail of that one. It, look, it looks like the, the, the thruster from the back of a rocket or something. But Oh, good call. Sure. Yeah. yeah. It's got the four orange legs. And mm. and then in the, in the back behind the tank, it looks like that might be a jack-in-the-box or possibly a... A lunchbox, maybe. Oh no, I was just thinking because, like, I think nowadays, like, any movie would have to have, like, you know, but we were talking about last minute, like, oh yeah, continuity uh, shots and stuff. So you think someone would have been in taking pictures of everything in this room and stuff? Uh, you wonder if that's and that's on file somewhere, like way back, like, you know, the the archives of the the, the handmade films, you know, uh, studios or whatever, like, but. Uh, you, you think someone creating a commercial script for sale would have included photos like that? There mm. are. There, There is a picture of him playing with his toys in his room. Yep, yep. And it's, uh, not, from, it's not a still from the film, so we do get to see... We do oh, get yeah, to we see have all that. kinds of stuff like that. But yeah, oh. the behind-the-scenes oh behind photos in the script are, are a lot of fun to look through. It's too bad they're in black and white. Yeah, and mm. it's too bad they're pictures. <laughs> like, hey, listeners, look at this. So the uh, the parents walk by Kevin's bedroom door, and you can see the light underneath Kevin's door, and you see their feet go by, and they're having a conversation, and they're they're mulling over the the game show that they just saw, and the uh, the dad is saying, "I'd have taken the money," and the mom <laughs> is saying, "What with a kitchen like that?" and and uh, the dad is like, "Well, our kitchen's all right, isn't it?" and uh, <laughs> the mom is like. Our kitchen is light years behind, and uh, and I the inferences here like okay now if we talked about the rules of the show, she had a choice to take the money or let her husband die, right? And so the dad the dad is saying I'd have taken the money, and I think he's obliquely saying I would have let you drown in the custard, right? And she's not yeah <laughs> she's not take no she's not taking offense she's just not that's the thing of that. she's like oh you wouldn't have chosen the kitchen. Right, like it's not like you would have wanted me to die. Yeah. She's like totally understandable. <laughs> like I would have killed you too, but you wouldn't have taken the kitchen. Like if we're, if that's the rules of the game, I don't know. But uh, God, what a miserable marriage you must have. <laughs> Imagine the sex. It's not miserable. <laughs> they've got they've got. Also, a kitchen. have to ask though if what you guys are saying about like oh the the the, the notes though of like um you know the, the clock striking one or striking two in the comic and the the the, the script and stuff. These guys are only going no, to bed I think, now. I think is that show been on for like four hours actually. or something? Or? Um, it seems to me that at some point it was filmed in such a way that this was all supposed to happen in one night. Does that make sense to either of you? Kind of the way the show seemed to continue from one hmm? to the next? 
Yeah. I mean, just these two things, two different nights while he's at home before he takes off on his venture. Oh, yeah. No, it's two different nights. Like he was, yeah, yeah. The, the horse was one night and now this is the next night for sure. This is the way, it, this is, so, this is how it's, that's how it plays out to me. It seems like uh, they just mm. needed things to happen for the sake of the story. And Kevin's parents needed to walk by there and go to bed. And maybe that's why there, it isn't one o'clock in the morning. No, I'm thinking like, like just yeah. as they were ending, it wasn't working out and they just needed to, they need to get rid of the concept of, of telling us what time it is. Yeah, for sure. Like, I think it's 10 o'clock. I think it's nine yep. nine thirty or ten p.m. I, I, it's definitely not one or two in the morning, which is why it's kind of worthy of note that in the in the in the in the script and the comic and stuff, it's way later than it appears to be. I figure they finished watching the game show, and uh, you know maybe. Well, and the fact that they're still talking about it tells me that they're coming right from the game show. Yeah, so they're they're just going to bed. No Johnny Carson for yeah, them. Yeah. Unless they, this is this is post game show chat and it continues for hours, so they really get into like they they game they're hosting their minutes. own uh, yeah. your, your money your life minutes podcast. You know, they are really as as much as they are into stuff. I, it wouldn't surprise me if your money or your life was a big part of their life conversationally in their relationship. Yeah, because all the conversations they have are about like gadgets and new things, mm. and I noticed that. In all the conversations they have, the dad is always kind of defensive about the stuff. You know, it always seems like he's kind of defending his crappy things that he's probably buying, and she's always kind of complaining about them not being good enough. Well, yeah. It's like you know, someone getting very defensive over, uh, you know, their shortcomings. You know, you could almost call it like a, <laughs> a term, <laughs> is it a Napoleon no. complex, maybe? <laughs> yeah, just always trying to I overcompensate a, for her. Yeah, do things aren't that great. Cycle. Oh, sorry. I it was it all it was. deliberate, exactly. Duncan. Every single second of that. If I had an automatic robotic <laughs> meat slicer and stacker in my kitchen, I would not feel uncomfortable about that. I would not. But if your neighbors had a better one, well, now that might be a different story. <laughs> mm. their, their robotic meat cutter has the internet. <laughs> but then, uh, so the light um, from under Kevin's door goes out and we hear their bedroom door close. And I don't know about yep. you guys, but this seems like kind of a ubiquitous kid's memory. If you end up, if you end up staying up later yeah. than your parents, you, you're hearing them go yeah. to bed. You know, I can sleep anywhere. Like I, I'm out. I can sleep through an earthquake, mm. but, uh, I imagine if you had insomnia that started young, this would be a very nightly occurrence of like, the light underneath your bedroom door turning out as your parents go to bed. And it was. Yeah. In in my mm. my version of that was my yes. parents had very, uh, very a bedroom so. on the mm. ground floor and we were all upstairs. And so we had this hallway light that would be turned on, you know, for our comfort as scared kids of the dark. Yeah. And when my parents went to bed they would come by and flip that light off. Okay. And I was I was uh, a kid who yeah. could not. I had insomnia and stayed up all the time, and I was convinced that there were vampires flying outside my window, scratching on the window. Yeah. Whenever, uh, whenever the sleet was going up against it, so I saw that light go off many times underneath my door. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I was remembering like my. I was like, oh, my house is tiny in compared to the, the like the house I'm in right now is like huge in comparison. Right. Cause I remember my parents' room were about was about like two feet from my room. And so everything to turn off that light was like the most conspicuous yeah. thing ever because it was like it's right next to yeah. your face the whole That's time. That's cool that this is uh, kind of a universal thing. Or this or something like it, hearing your parents go to bed. Yeah. And the, uh, in the shot of Kevin's 
bedroom door mm. here we mentioned before we see the, the a, a tin looks like a metal figurine of a napoleonic soldier on horseback not like yep. it's like an older tin uh tin soldier kind of thing and then we've got the the remote controlled sherman tank and then we cut back to kevin ah oh, geez mm. guys he's asleep uh, asleep he's asleep yep. There's sort of a lullaby music playing as we zoom in on his sleeping face, right? That's I took it to be kind of lullaby-ish. I don't know what you guys are, are thinking, but there's kind of a... Eh, yeah, the, or like an that. 80s version almost of uh, diddle-diddle-a, 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 you know, like this. <laughs> to happening. me, this music always evoked a sense of, of tension. Like we're oh, building up tension, okay. Du, 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 you know? Yeah, I can I can dig that. Cause with it, with, on the front of... Kevin's wardrobe again, because you've got all the, these different illustrations. Like the most prominent one mm-hmm. being this yeah. astronaut. So then, like, you know, we take that again. It's just like, well, what's going to come out of there is like explorers, people coming yeah. in, you know, going into the great unknown and stuff like that. So it is again. That's supposed to be a dig. he never is outright in an astronaut outfit himself, yeah. but I think thematically, it's like, yeah, that's what they're the, the you know. Let, a form of astronaut is about to come through yeah, those doors, a, basically. A tempo <laughs> knot or whatever. I, I I can carry it. I think I like that. Yeah. Yeah, that works for me. And you got you got think that this this uh route of entry is a cultural reference in itself? You know, the, the, to me anything like, you know, any mystical creatures coming through a wardrobe is like, oh, it's a reference to the lion that's sure. in the wardrobe for sure. basically. I, yeah, yeah, I don't even the, think there's a question of it. I think that was definitely on his mind. Yeah. To, yeah, to yeah. say that the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe was a, an influence, I haven't asked him, of course, and I haven't read it, but it seems obvious. Yeah, it's a it's a wardrobe. Mm. It's uh, it's in the UK. It's a hundred percent. It's uh, <laughs> that's, yeah. That's, yeah. I think it's like not to jump ahead too much because you got you know big arrival yeah, here coming now. Oh, but we're not we're not playing uh, the spoiler game. We're not pretending that nobody that. <laughs> <laughs> Well the, well, the thing is, when when Randall, you know, he, he's like the first one out the door. But to me, that actor, David Rappaport, is synonymous with me with, with an episode of The Young oh. Ones, uh, where oh, Vivian goes through his wardrobe into Narnia, and oh he meets okay. like he meets the 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 White Witch and the the the, the dwarf driving her, you know, her horse and cart. It's oh, David Rappaport, oh. and the voice is so instantly recognizable and stuff. It's like, oh, that's Shirley the Dwarf. That is so remember wonderful. him and Vivian end up getting into it and oh. stuff. So it's just like, yeah, so we, and the, like, that Young Ones episode was made after this movie yeah. as well. So I don't even know. Maybe on their level, they're like, oh yeah, we got the we got the guy from friggin' For Time sure. Bandits as another you know another little person coming through a friggin' you know going in and out of wardrobes and all this business. So yeah, yeah, maybe. I am just in love with that. I I was just thinking earlier today. It's too bad that there wasn't. You know, a Saturday Night Live or something around at the time. Well, I mean, there was, but if there wasn't some kind of show that would have the Time Bandits on to do a little skit in character as the yeah, Time Bandits, yeah. the way that they did with Star Wars, where you know, I don't know, where Richard Pryor was in the Star Wars Cantina, <laughs> right? One of those mm. variety shows doing <laughs> yeah. those things because Time Bandits didn't really kind of hit culturally the same way. I guess I don't know. See, this is no, a well, not no. culturally, no. But I know that like a lot of people that saw it, as, like as film critics that loved it, and there were uh, young young people that's like I don't know. It hit it hit big with the people that like it, I guess. But yeah, you're right. It didn't. <laughs> yeah, it was right. no. Uh, it was no. It was no it nine to five. Be on the, it, it wasn't going to end up being a skit in um, the Donnie and Marie show. No. No. 
But now, but now I'm finding out there is an episode of the Young Ones where I can go check out uh, David Rappaport being being a possibly abandoned or at least having a very passing reference. Mm. Oh, I know that he's. I remember distinctly in that episode his character, the uh, his name yeah. is Shirley. So I remember at one point, like him and Vivian are getting into an argument, and the White Witch is just like, "Oh, come along, Shirley," and then Vivian's <laughs> like, "That's your name, is it Shirley?" And <laughs> but then he, I think Vivian lets out a he lets out a fart or something on the the cart, and then like. Dave Rappaport's sitting with a beard the whole time, and then he just puts his hands up, tears the beard off his face, and he's like, that's revolting, and like starts really getting into him with him. But uh, It's been years since I've seen that episode, but really, I remember a lot about it now. <laughs> Think about it. That's funny. Rappaport, Rappaport was so punk rock, man. I love that guy. <laughs> he's, uh, he's definitely, I think, out of the, out of the bandits, though. I'm sure you guys will talk about it you know, as, as you go on, but he is, he's the one who seems to, beyond him and Kenny Baker... It's the one who's you know worked worked the most yeah. really like he's got an yeah. IMD, IMDb list as long as you're freaking like like yeah, yeah he's the, the Peter Dinklage of 1981 that's for sure mm. synonymous to me because also as a as a 90s kid uh, remembering him from Captain Planet as that's well, right where he yeah. was uh, the voice. oh yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. I think actually before he even appeared. I think even the first time I watched this, as soon as I heard his voice, I was like, I know who that yeah. is. Like, it, the voice, from memories of that Young Ones and Captain Planet, was just like, oh my god, it, you know, I mightn't recognize his face when I see him, but that's definitely that guy. So, uh, at least he knows his reputation lasted that long, anyway. Yeah. Oh, it's just a joy that he's in this movie. But, um, not the only other notes I have about any of the bandits, you know, in acting, for him specifically is because you know if people listen to Batman they'll know like oh yeah I like to connect everything back to Batman in some way way shape or form mm-hmm. uh, but uh, Jack Purvis is the big one uh, Wally because he features in the video for Little Girls um, the very strange uh, Oingo Boingo song right. uh, which could describe any Oingo Boingo song quite frankly <laughs> but uh, of course Oingo Boingo is Danny Elfman's band Danny Elfman composed the music to Batman so it's just like oh there you go but um, yeah, it's a very strange video. It's like him, a little like a Girl Scout coming to his front door, and it's just the house is empty, and it's just Danny Elfman in a white vest with a bunch of little people, also dressed kind of similarly to him, and they're just singing this, you know. And Danny Elfman is a a weird looking guy. Like he's got a, he's got like a real demonic kind of look about his face. Like, if he played the Joker, I wouldn't have been surprised. He's like, yeah, he kind of looks the part, really. Um, and then you see in the background, he's like, oh, yeah, there's Wally from Time Bands <laughs> just hanging out with Danny Elfman in this house. Little girl run away very quickly <laughs> because no no good can be coming of this. But Although I have to ask, I'm a, I'm a big fan of, uh, of hats. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a hat collection myself. Nice. And I, I, I admire all the bandits. That, well, yeah, I, I, I enjoy the fact that they've all got their individual headgear. I was wondering, which, which is your favorite of all the bandits, like, in terms of their, what, what they got in their heads? Well, let's, let's, let's do a list. I mean, we can talk about this in the next minute because we get a really first, our first clear that's shot true. of that's all the, good, all the bandits is in minute nine. Mm. Okay. Uh, this minute is just, it, this minute it. is just Randall and, uh, Strutter. Strutter. Yeah. Out of the yeah, so okay, well let's let's yeah let's go through it. First of all, the the actual beats. We hear some jiggling and shifting, some creaking and some light banging, and it's the wardrobe. It's shaken back and forth, and then the wardrobe door creaks open slowly, and we see Randall, the self-proclaimed leader, followed by Strutter, cautiously peeking out and entering the room. And Kevin's eyes snap open, and he reaches for his torch slowly. as they w- as they would say over there he reaches slowly <laughs> for his for his flashlight 
So and they're they're looking around. This is this is a question that has uh, bothered me since I was ten. Yeah, is there a time door in the back of the wardrobe, or have they all somehow just fallen into the wardrobe? This is and, and also... they're all seven, and they're all seven in there somehow. All six. I think there's uh, six. Excuse me. I think there's uh, there's a, there's a, there's an argument to be made for talking about that in the next minute as well because they talk, they say uh, that it's not on the map. The Duncan shut her down of conversation. I'm so I'm so sorry. I just don't. <laughs> if we really wanted to get into the the meat of uh, what the hole is and uh, what they're wearing and stuff like that, we could we we could save it for a minute nine. I agree. Yeah, I think we're testing our. Testing our limits of ever episode. <laughs> it's possible. <laughs> I am comfortable because I'm not, I... It's only 40 minutes. Jesus Christ, give me my money's worth here, would you? The Time Bandits Minute is a fan project hosted by Curtis Blaze and Duncan Shields. The movie Time Bandits was written by Terry Gilliam and Michael Palin and is presented by Handmade Films. The novel Time Bandits was written by Charles Alverson and is based on a screenplay by Michael Palin and Tara Gilliam. It is published by Severn House Publishing. The comic book adaptation Time Bandits was written by the team at Marvel Comics and presented by Stan Lee. The screenplay Time Bandits movie script was written by Tara Gilliam and Michael Palin. It was published by Doubleday Dolphin Books. You can find more of us at timebanditsminute.com or text us at 712 712- Eight three zero seven three seven three. You can also find us on Facebook at Time Bandits Minute, the podcast. Thank you to the Star Wars Minute guys for graciously allowing us to steal the format. If you would like to listen to other Movies by Minutes podcasts, check out MoviesByMinutes.com. Join us next time for Minute 9, where you'll hear Kevin ask... Who are you? God, what a miserable marriage Janice has. Imagine the sex. <laughs>